the Know Your Gear podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Know Your Gear podcast episode it's 341. Gas Addict says, any recommendations on a good, easy-to-use noise gate? My old man is wanting one for Christmas. Uh, thanks. Um, you know, I like I I like the, the Boss noise gate. I thought they came up with a new one that has like an effects loop. No, I think the other one had an effects loop in it. Um, so noise gates, I generally just have the Boss one. Okay, so you guys know. Um, uh, the ISP decimator is the favorite if i was going to say like when i pull all my friends that, that that use noise gates pretty on the regular um i don't use noise gates on the regular so like i said so i basically uh one day <laughs> one day in my travels uh i saw a boss noise gate pedal probably $30 or something, $39, some kind of reasonable price used and just bought it and go, oh, I have that. And I probably use it once every two years. So um, that's the one I like. But the ISP decimator is what I would say is like industry standard. You know what I mean? So like if you ask me like what's what's a great compressor, I love MXR compressor. I like the Boss compressor. But the Keeley compressor is like, I would say is industry standard. It's the SM57 of compressor pedals, right? I mean, I really like uh, Wampler's compressor, the Ego. Um, I, there's so many compressors I love, right? <laughs> Vintage ones, uh, you know, boutique ones. But like to me, gold standard, if you're only going to have one compressor, I would recommend the Keeley. Same thing with uh, noise gate. If you're only going to have one, the ISP decimator would be the one to go. Um, the um, yeah, see, uh, gas addict says perfect. I like the one knob. Yeah, really cool, really good one. And like I said, the the players that I are friends with that really love noise gates tend to go to that one as the go to. So there you go. Um, uh, Ariel says, uh, Phil, what does the noise gate do? So um, a noise gate, uh, noise suppression or noise gate, um, is a is a as a pedal or an effect that what it does is it sets a volume. That's the best. I'm going to really dumb it down because because you said you didn't know what it was. I just want to keep it as simple for you, okay? Since I'm just talking and no no uh, illustrative you know things to hold. Um, imagine like um, when the volume gets really really quiet, like on an amp. So really, what uh, a noise gate? The best way to visualize it is a distorted amplifier, right? So you're playing rock and roll, and then you stop. And when you stop, the amp's making all this hissing sound because you know distortion is is very disruptive <laughs> sounding. And so the amp has a hiss, and the noise gate. What you do is you set the level on it. Um, and I'm actually using a noise gate right now, so you know I have it as a plug-in on my. Um, in my, uh, uh, what is this, uh, the OBS software that my uh, software that I use for podcasts has a noise suppressor and a noise gate in it. And so what it's doing is I have it set so that um, right now, if, if the volume gets really, really quiet, in fact, if I just stop talking, um, you're not supposed to hear anything. And what's interesting is you'll, you guys should tell me uh, if, if it worked because there was an airplane flying over right now when I was talking. So when I was quiet, like right then, if you guys didn't hear an airplane, that's the noise gate. The noise gate, basically any noise that's just really, really quiet wherever I set it. So it's a threshold. So in a guitar sense, though, it would be, like I said, setting it so that, you know, when you stop in between, between a song, people don't have to hear all that 
uh, really loud hissing sounds and stuff. And there's uh, so that's what it does. It just sets a threshold. And the noise gate sometimes you hear it and it always sounds like shh, like it's actually shushing something because you're like just bring the volume down. It grabs the volume when it gets to a low, it grabs it and brings it and turns it all the way off. So oh, Ellen says it worked. Yeah, I was gonna say that was a good timing because there was an airplane literally flying over, and that's why I use a noise uh, gate actually. So I don't find myself lying. Uh, I am using a noise gate. Yes, I wanted to make sure because uh, there's noise suppressor, noise gate, kind of the same thing. But what what actual plugin I'm using? Noise gate. Um, like right now, another plane's flying over, <laughs> um, and so I use a noise gate because uh, like if there's background noise and it's really quiet, it's not distracting us. And more. Uh, so there you go. Um, okay. Yeah, Kev says the more gain you use, the more you need one. I absolutely agree with that. In fact, my two favorite high-gain tones are my Ingle uh, Fireball 25, which has noise gate built into it, which is what I wish the 5150 EVH had in it, which is why I use the 5150 EVH pedal. It's right down there on my pedal board. It's one of my favorite distortion pedals of all time, high-gain pedals. Um, there is, like, if I was going to, if I was going to, if you asked me, like, Phil you know, out of your high gain pedals, you know, the Friedman BEOD, the uh, EVH 5150, the uh, LPD 87. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of another high gain pedal I have. The Metal Zone, no. Uh, but maybe the Metal Zone, uh, the Wazagraph Metal Zone, I really like that pedal. Um, and, uh, you know, and you know, insert other here, other high gain uh, pedal, which is your favorite. And interestingly enough, I would say out of those, the 87 by LPD is my favorite, um, but I use the 5150 like 98% of the time because I, cause the slight difference in quality of sound, like I think the 87 sounds more amp-like than the 5150. The 5150 is just really a hive, beehive of distortion. When I'm practicing, like I was doing earlier, I really like that the noise gate just shuts the sound off and I don't have to hear that in the background. <laughs> So, and, uh, and so, yeah, I like a noise gate for that. Um, but like I said, my two main high gain sounds, the fire, the Ingle and the 5150 both have noise gates built in. Um, and, oh, <laughs> says, Hey Phil, what do you think of iRig too? Um, I like iRig. I, I told you guys, I, I like iRig, uh, Amplitude. I don't know the differences between the three soft. There's three, right? Like the three. Two main softwares. There's Amplitude, and then there's the other one. I have both. I've, I mentioned this before. I have both softwares. One company gave me a software, and one I bought off Sweetwater. And I just put. So I have one on this computer and one on my laptop for travel. And I like them both. I was trying to figure out like which one I like better. Oh, iRig. I think it's iRig, right? So I have iRig and Amplitude, and um, I don't know. There's the, ne- neither one of them. It's like. To be honest with you, it's like two good amplifiers. Neither one of them are better. It's just kind of like, you know, if I picked one, I would just, I would have just picked one. Um, but what happened was I bought one for my laptop, and uh, I really should figure out which one's which because I don't even remember half time now. And then when a co- the other company said, "Hey, we'll send you a, a thing of our software," I said, "Oh, okay," and I put it on this computer. So, um, so. Yeah, guitar rig. Thank you, High Desert Who Dad. Yeah, so guitar rig and then amplitude. Um, and like I said, I really would be just guessing if I said I liked one over the other. I, I don't really prefer. I think there's one format I liked a little bit better than the other. But again, nothing was 
nothing bad. Bias, that's the other one I have too. So I must have three. I, like I said, I have a bunch of these softwares. The companies, you know, over the years, either I've, I've bought them or companies sent them. All of them are good. You know, um, the thing about the, the software is the software is proof that that's all you really need. You know, if you, if you had a, um, if you have a laptop <laughs> and you've got a, an interface and any of these softwares, I mean, it's everything. It's amazing. There's no need for any real amplifiers anymore for, if you're using that for recording and stuff, they just, everything sounds fantastic. So I've said this, uh, I've said this before. I'll say it again over and over and over again. So you guys are aware if I wasn't doing YouTube content, I don't know if I would actually care about amplifiers as much. I, I would probably have one or two legacy type amplifiers, things that mean something sentimentally, you know, for me. But other than that, I'd probably be all software on my computer and the Kemper and, and, you know, Tonex or whatever. And just, you know, that stuff, because it's so easy for workflow and so easy to, to just make music and play on and everything sounds fine, in my opinion. Um, but in the YouTube review arena, I don't want to be, because uh, I've told you guys, this is my, it's just my opinion, but I think that stuff sounds so good that when I, I don't use it because uh, I think you guys would go, oh, that sounds amazing. I'm like, of course it does. <laughs> it's digital stuff made to sound perfect and through the internet it's compressed and everything it does it's just you know it's it sounds good okay uh let's see tamil blue says they're great for apartment living absolutely so uh, absolutely um we'll be right back Ever wonder how your favorite entertainers and athletes made it from childhood to the spotlight? Join me, Nashville-based entertainment reporter Jennifer Vickery-Smith, as I chat with moms of entertainers and entertaining moms on my hit podcast, Got It From My Mama. You'll hear delightful conversations with moms of everyone from the Jonas Brothers, Luke Bryan, Kelsey Ballerini, Steph Curry, Travis Kelsey, and so many more, sharing the journey from a perspective only a mama can share. New episodes weekly as we share the best conversations of family, faith, and fame on the Got It From My Mama podcast. Let's see. Okay, hold on a second. Um, let me refresh this. I am all over the Okay, here it is. Um, Fast Friday 33 says, Phil, have you posted a review of the Firebird? I have not. The Firebird, uh, just to give you a, a, a reference of, of, of a, like a lifestyle, right? The Firebird I purchased for myself. It was obviously, it's not for the, just for the YouTube channel. It's something I, I, I wanted, I was interested in. I bought it. And of course, now I want to do a video of it. Um, the reason I... Half the reason the video got postponed so far, besides you know I'm busy, but that's just a cop out to say I'm busy. Um, the first in the first five minutes of playing the guitar, the high E string broke. Um, this is how crazy this is, and then it just sat for probably two months because I was like I'd go oh I'd have to restring that guitar, <laughs> and I go to restring it and I'm like I have other things to do, so it, it's crazy. Like I said, it's crazy. Um, you know, there's, uh, you, uh, if you, I had a, I have a friend who's another YouTuber who said this thing. And I think it, it really is, uh, really insightful. He said, doing the YouTube gig, like we do, 
it's basically you you understand that you're going to be playing guitars and amps and pedals all the time not your favorite not your personal one you're just going to be playing guitars and amps and pedals all the time like like you're playing the gear that's sent to you or the gear that you know people are interested in more so than your your personal gear and that's what happened with the firebird it just got put on the back burner so um it got pushed back twice so you know so will it come out yeah not this month though it's just not it's not gonna happen this month so and then uh uh and then next month obviously is going to be tricky too because there's you know all kinds of stuff going on next month so it's going to be richard said phil's needs attack yeah i mean it's you know like i said so it's okay uh yeah <laughs> uh, and somebody says you just say yeah get another one off the wall it's exactly what i do if a guitar is basically breaks a string uh there's guitars here so i set it down and play another guitar okay um let's let's grab some super chats too let me jump around and then like i said i got a cool couple cool questions sent to me in the email that i was excited about we'll hit that in like a couple minutes so the first super chat was came from john who says he got a black cat uh bad cat black cat he uh he's a great he says it's a great amp that's my favorite of the ba- bad cat amps but wonder your thoughts on the li- on a light bass amp uh, have you played ampeg uh, venture stuff has to be gigable but preferably light thinking 115 cab uh don't ask me the music style <laughs> okay um you know i don't know ampeg ampeg is my is my absolute favorite amplifier company for bass like Marshall is for amps and the idea that it's iconic to me. Um, and I, I love my Ampeg guitar amp. Ampeg bass amps, <laughs> they sound okay. You know, the new ones, the the new light series and stuff, they sound great. Like I said, they sound great. But are they better than the Fender light stuff? Are they better, better than anybody else's? I don't know if they're better. Um, part of the Ampeg tone is the growl, you know, the kind of rock and roll sound. Um, but that a lot of that sound was the 810 cabinets, the tube heads, you know, so I don't know. Um, me personally, I've said this before, um, I've, I've pretty much all ditched all bass amps and I pretty much just use a preamp and I just go direct. If I do need a bass amp for a small little jam or something like that, I have a Phil Jones, I have a, uh, uh, I think I still have a Fender Rumble somewhere, you know, just a couple of light amps. So bass amps are, you know, it's, it's really weird. So, um, because bass amps for me, bass for me, in other words, and when I play bass, I'm usually, it's for function. In other words, it's not, I don't collect basses. I'm not doing content with basses. It's usually I'm playing music when I'm playing music. Again, my mindset is just, this is my one bass I play. And this is literally the rig that works. And, uh, and I can, you know, it gets me the tone I want, which is the preamp. Um, but yeah, if you like the Ampeg stuff, it's good stuff. All that stuff now is super light, super good. So, okay. And then, um, Mr. S, Mr. S says, Hey, are any of the guitars on the wall and other tunings besides standard? Yes. So the, the, most of the guitars are in different tunings. I'm constantly in, uh, hell when I do content because I play only a couple guitars in standard tuning. Most of my guitars will be a half step down. I just like that. Um, some guitars are in, uh, you know, in drop D tuning. Some guitars are in drop B tunings. <laughs> some guitars are in dad gad. Uh, some guitars are, um, 
you know, just tuned all kinds of weird ways. So yeah, a lot of the guitars are tuned different ways for sure. Not all of them, but a lot of them are tuned differently. Um, now what I do personally now for my personal thing is if it's a guitar, I know I'm not going to use in videos, then I just go ahead and assign it to be a differently tuned instrument. So sometimes that's why when you see a guitar on the wall and you're like, Hey, come, how come you don't use in the videos? It, it, it's just because it's different tuned. I don't know what it is particularly about not tuning your guitar to standard that makes people on the internet lose their mind, but they do lose their mind. Um, when I started making content, almost all my videos were half step down because <laughs> I was just playing half step down all the time. And people would be like, that guitar is not a tune, it's half step down. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that means. <laughs> it means it's like, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. Um, so, uh, so, uh, basically I'm like, okay, I'll tune to standard because again, you know, I look at it like the viewership has critique and the critique is obviously something they care about. Why not just adjust to it? So I just adjust to it. It wasn't like I was, uh, you know, willing to die on that, you know, hill for half step down tuning. But yeah, a lot of the guitars are tuned different ways for a lot of reasons. Um, absolutely. Okay. Um, Okay, now here's a here's a subject question, and I and Amanda sent another one. I'm gonna grab her here too. In fact, I just need to make sure that this was from Derek. It says, "Hey Phil, happy Friday. How come when I turn my Les Paul neck volume to zero with bridge volume at ten, my guitar is silent in the middle position? Same with the neck on the ten. Yeah, okay. So Derek." Um, that is what it's supposed to do if you have that circuit. So what he's talking about is when you have two volumes and two tones on a guitar and you put the guitar in the middle position, if you turn either one of the volumes off, your volume is uh, completely off, right? Um, it is it is how it's supposed to work, um, but there is a workaround for that. Um, the easiest way is to assign a master volume to the guitar that sometimes works the best uh last week or the week before i think i was talking about i did a wiring job for a customer and that's exactly what his problem was he had a hollow body guitar with two volumes two tones and he did not want when in the middle position he wanted to be able to uh, you know, not have the middle position turn off if one of the guitar pickups were off. And so that's what I did. I wired it up to have a master volume for that. And so the master volume would control whether or not all the pickups are off. And that way he can use the two other volumes to blend. Um, the uh, schematic I used for that was based on the Bootsy Collins uh, base uh, where he had the four pickups and they're all volumes to each. And then he has a master volume. I found it online. I found that that was the schematic. It was easy for me to find. I saw that base schematic, I looked at it and I go, okay, yeah, that's something I can adapt to. And I kind of took that and then a, a standard Les Paul wiring and I kind of merged the two and, and made it work. Um, so you can make it not do what you're having it, you know, what it's doing to you, but that is what it's supposed to do, you know, by design, you know, by the original design. So if it, it's not something you're concerned about, don't worry that your guitar is not functioning correctly. It's functioning how they made it, but you can do it both ways. Um, yeah, Jason said, that's how my PRS McCarty 594 is. It's going to be pretty much standard for any guitar with two volumes, two tones. That's going to be the kind of standard, uh, way it's wired. But again, you can wire it. You can wire it with the master volume so that it doesn't do that. And you can wire it so that it doesn't do that. Even if you only have two volumes, but you do have to readjust the wiring. So, 
Okay, let's see. Uh, Mojo Jojo <laughs> uh, says, uh, uh, says, hey, Phil, will you be attending the Kiesel event? Uh, so um, I'm having, and I thank you guys, by the way, everybody for uh, dealing with me today. I got to tell you, um, I did my bonus uh, podcast for the patrons in the last like seven days or whatever. And then I, I was on, uh, I was on the Tone Mob uh, podcast, which was great. And, uh, what happens is after a while, I'm like, did I, I am trying to remember what I said in what show and not, you know, another show. So let me give you guys this update. So, um, Kiesel Guitars is having an event January 27th. It's absolutely free to the public. That will be the week of the NAM show. So if you're at the NAM show or in that area, Kiesel is like a 60 minute drive, I think south of the NAM show. And you can go to the Kiesel event on Saturday. They'll have like a, I'm just going off all the stuff they said. They're going to have like a taco truck and a, and a burger truck. They're going to be giving tours of the factory. What really cool is there actually be employees in the factory working on guitars. So they're going to do a floating day that week. So the employees will have a day off during the week and then work that Saturday so that, you know, people can see the factory. They want to, they want to show the pride of their work. The, the employees want to show their pride of their workmanship when they're in the factory and show you guys. So they will be doing a guided tour through the factory and seeing the work and then of course there'll be events and of course there's also going to be shows like you know performances by kiesel artists um this is absolutely true uh they reached out and asked me um well first you guys told me about it <laughs> they reached out and asked me if i would like to go and i had seen where they said they were going to give it be giving out free waters and i said yeah i'd like to go and if you'd like i would hand out free waters so um so, so, you know, I was going to go and hand out free waters. Um, they responded back, the people at Kiesel, and said, uh, that's great. But no, we were thinking more like, we'll we'll pay for you to come out and do a clinic. <laughs> so uh, I will be there doing a clinic. So the uh, stuff is all to be announced, right? Um, so you guys know. Um, it's again, it's a free clinic. I'm sure it's going to be like an hour long. Um, it's going to be a little free form and a little bit on su subject, right? So we'll keep it easy. The importance of it is that, uh, they would like, they're trying not to have, uh, filming there so that they want the event to be a personal in-person event, you know, kind of make it for people who came out and stuff. Um, my guess is that they can't stop that, that, you know, viewers, people will have their phones and film stuff. So if, um, people film it, you know, and stuff, and you, you know, uh, you know, it happens, it happens, but I have no intention to film if they don't want people filming. If they have no, you know, if they are okay with it, I'll film the, the, the clinic and put it out. If they just want to keep it private, I understand that. So, you know, um, so you understand this, uh, this is, uh, Larry Mitchell, as you know, is a great, uh, good friend of the channel, great, great friend of me and a super talented, obviously Grammy winning producer, amazing guitar player. He does clinics all the time and he likes, he asks that people don't film his clinics. And I asked him about this um, once and he was very upfront about it. I said, you know, it's interesting. I said, why don't you film your clinics and put them out? And he said, you know, he said that what he, what he's learned is, is that when you film that kind of stuff and you put it out, although that's great that people get to see it that aren't there. What happens though, is later when people come to your events, they they focus only on filming you and the ones that aren't filming you they've already seen like your shtick I, he didn't say shtick but you get the idea they've heard your stories they've seen your thing right and he says it just it just takes away from the moment and he's just trying to have a moment with a bunch of people 
at event. So I think that's kind of what they're going after for here too. So I'm just letting you guys know. So I have to be aware. But like I said, I will be there for sure. I will be doing a clinic. I'll be there handing out waters. <laughs> if, they, if they let me, I'll do it still. I don't care. Uh, whatever they need. Like I said, I'll take out the trash. Uh, so... <laughs> So it's like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be useless all day. Um, and so, um, uh, so there you go. Uh, it's, uh, uh, so, so there, there you go. And I'll be there. And of course I'll be with, uh, you know, showing guitars and stuff. Um, that's a good segue to something that came in this week. That's an interesting question. And the question was, um, Phil, they noticed now this is, sounds like it's going to be a Kiesel question. It's not. They said they noticed that I have this copper penny delos here which obviously is a strat style guitar it's just a strat right okay and if you were following on some of my videos and you're following me on social media uh, or following some of the things i do on social media you know that i have that exact same guitar as a headless okay and this is not a uh, model that you can uh, just buy like that one however you can order this one so i'm just telling you guys so you know understand if you want uh basically a Delos that's specked out with my color and my uh, wiring and stuff, but headless, you would have to contact Kiesel on the phone, just like you did before, before we had a skew for that one. And just say, you know, Hey, I want a Delos and I want it in copper penny metallic. And I want the wiring like, like Phil McKnight uh, has, has his wiring done. So that's not the question. The question has nothing to do with the two guitars. Uh, the question was, um, first they wanted to know what I thought about having the exact same guitar headless and with a head on it. And I said, okay, I did respond and I let them know I am going to be doing a video comparing the two. And so that's, that's something I want to talk about. The other thing they said was, um, why they asked me why I think Fender guitars and Gibson and Paul Reed Smith don't make a headless guitar. But more importantly, the question that I thought was interesting, it hit me like a ton of bricks, by the way. I was like, I, I couldn't stop thinking about this question when I was drinking coffee. I was supposed to be talking to my wife about something and I was interrupting her like, you gotta hear this question. The question was, how come Fender? So basically understand what Kiesel did. They took a Delos, which is essentially a Fender, right? Or a copy of a Silver Sky, <laughs> however you want to do it. And a copy of a Fender. And they made a headless version of it. So what I like about this guitar, the headless is, it's the same guitar. They feel the same to me. They're identical. The necks feel identical. Everything feels identical. Like I said, holding it like this, you would think it's the same guitar, but it's, it's identical in the way it plays and the way it sounds. I know it's kind of given away too much of the video coming, but comparison wise, I mean, the pickups are like 90% of the sound is the pickups and stuff. So it's essentially the same pickup, same wiring. It's going to sound the same. The question is, you know, why doesn't Fender do something like that? They thought that was interesting. They said, you know, basically... Here's a company like Kiesel, and what they're doing is they're making headless versions like they just made a headless version of their guitar. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. And at face value, I was like, yeah, this, yeah, why doesn't Fender do that or Gibson do that? You know, and I started thinking, going, yeah, that's really interesting because look how expensive travel guitars are. You know, I've reviewed almost every travel guitar on the market on the channel, and travel guitars are extremely expensive, right? I mean, there are very few travel guitars that are, you know, $100, $200. Most travel guitars are seven, eight hundred dollars And I started thinking, going, yeah, if, if I, I like my Delos. So to me, when I asked Kiesel, can I have a headless version of it so I can travel with it and use it when I'm, you know, around the house and on the couch and stuff, they were like, yeah, we'll make you one. I'm like, cool. 
And now that I've had it, it's it's been amazing. The idea that if I could have a less a Gibson Les Paul and then a headless Gibson Les Paul, uh, but not because it broke off, because it's like a headless guitar, or a Strat, a Fender Strat headless, or a Paul Reed Smith Custom 24 headless, but same neck profile, same pickup, same guitar, and that could be my travel style guitar, have two versions of it. I mean, get, don't get me wrong, that's a very luxurious thing to have, but it's still amazing. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. Why it doesn't exist? So I'm going to tell you what I think. This is, and this is crazy. So hear me out. I think Fender, especially Fender, Gibson definitely too, but de especially Fender, and then Paul Reisman III, they're never going to make a headless version of their guitar. Never. Mark my words. If I'm wrong, I will eat the crow like I have done when I'm wrong on the show. I've been wrong a few times, you know, right? We're all just shooting from the hip and talking. It's water cooler talk, right? But here is why I think Fender, even though I think it's genius, if Fender basically could make a headless version of the Fender Strat or Tele, I think it would be gangbusters. And then you start thinking going, yeah, right. And they could make it in Mexico and they could make it for sub $1,000. It would be huge, right? It would be huge. And it's not hard to do, by the way. There are companies that actually make con conversion kits that convert guitars that have headstocks to headless. And then it hit me. This is why Fender won't do it. Because... So you know, I've talked about this many times before, the Fender body shape, the Strat body shape, the Tele body shape, the P-Base uh, shape are public domain. Fender does not control them anymore. That's not a trademark control. And we already know that Gibson lost the lawsuit with the single cut against Paul Reed Smith, okay? And that was a lawsuit. That was a fight all out, brawl out. You know, Paul Reed Smith told me uh, in a group of other people once, this is years ago, I mean, he thought he was gonna lose his company just spending millions of dollars fighting Gibson. I mean, it was, you know, it was a fight for the death, he's like said. And so, so here's what's funny. In the lawsuit against Paul Reed Smith, it's basically the same lawsuit style issue as, as Fender. In the lawsuit against Paul Reed Smith, it basically was decided that the headstock, intellectual property, the headstock, the trademark, the look of the guitar was the headstock. Fender, we already know the bodies are public domain. So again, the, public, the, the trademark is the headstock. Even Charvel, who's owned by Fender, if you buy one, says this headstock is licensed by Fender because of an old lawsuit that was settled or taken care of years and years and years ago with Fender. So if Fender made a headless guitar, it could immediately be copied by everyone. Well, hell, it already kind of is. I mean, what is this? It's basically a Fender headless guitar. That's what Kiesel made. <laughs> I mean, Kiesel basically made a Fender Strat there, um, but with their headstock, right? Silver Sky, right? Basically a version of the Fender Strat, but with the PRS headstock. And so I started laughing going, oh my God, these companies are screwed. Innovation, look, I really believe this. You wanna talk about innovation in the future. People talk about where we're gonna be in 10 years, 10, 20 years. I'm, I'm gonna be just, I'm gonna get in so much trouble right now because <laughs> what I'm gonna say. So, because I'm not, I'm not supposed to tell you. All right, I wasn't, I didn't ask. My buddy, Larry Mitchell, who is amazing, as you know, he's a Nags player. He's an amazing guy, amazing talent. Um, he even asked me, first thing he asked me when I saw he saw my headless guitar was, he's like, how do you like it? And I go, it's great. He knew I took this guitar to the Grand Canyon. This is true. I took this guitar to the Grand Canyon and then I took it to, um, well, in order, I took it to San Diego, then I took it to the Grand Canyon, then I took it to Hawaii and I took it back. And he goes, how did it hold up? I go, I didn't even tune it. <laughs> it's true. I swear. 
I didn't tune it. In fact, I didn't have the Allen wrenches or anything. I realized I forgot them because I was like, oh crap, if I break a string, I'm screwed. And I didn't have to even tune the guitar. It's that stable because the neck, you know, it's shorter and it's obviously, there's nothing to bump. <laughs> you throw in the gig bag. It was, you know, it took all the abuse from the plane, the car, right? The truck, the heat, the cold, the humidity. I mean, I'm in Arizona. I went from Hawaii was like 80, 85% humidity. Arizona was like 5% humidity, <laughs> right? And he goes, I think I need to get one of those for travel. And I'm like, yeah. And he, so that's what I'm not supposed to say. I'm not supposed to say he's, but he's looking at getting a, a headless Delos for travel. So here's, um, so Jim and Tess, Jim plus Tess says, was it a carry one, carry on? Let's pin that. I will tell you that in a second, but let's not lose track of the, of this part of this conversation. So if Fender made a headless guitar, that would be fantastic. Because I think the future of guitars, sure, if you think modeling and, and, and profiling is the future of technology, I, which we all kind of agree it's getting there, it's or getting there, it's there, it's kick ass, it's literally headless guitars. I know people have a trouble with the way they look, but if you haven't played a headless guitar, it is very liberating. I mean, it's easy, it's convenient, it's comfortable, right? You can take them anywhere. I mean, it just feels great. And the idea to me, the only thing better than a headless guitar is having a headless version of a guitar you actually love already. Like I said, it's having two versions so that you can have one more traditional and one a little bit more modernized. And like I said, Paul Reed Smith, there's no way they're going to chop off that trademark because then they would just have a PRS body that you could copy with a headless guitar. Everyone would be able to copy. There'd be no way to stop them. And the look of their guitars wouldn't be unique because like I said, that's not what the unique part has been decided by the industry. Think about this. The whole entire industry has basically decided that the headstock is the intellectual property. It's why all acoustics, like all dreadnoughts look exactly the same. Remember, Martin invented the dreadnought. There's no confusion about that, okay? So when you go to a music store now, I mean, freaking, I can't even guess. I would say 80%, I'm being nice. 80% of the guitar, acoustic guitars in the acoustic room at any music store you go to, it can be dreadnoughts. That's a Martin design, absolutely, right? But Martin has a paddle, heads, paddle headstock, and that's the intellectual property. That's what they defend. They don't defend the shape of the guitar. They defend the shape of the headstock. In fact, that's why if you look at companies like Godin, who make a great uh, guitars, um, they have a brand called Norman, and you don't see them very often in the U.S. They're mostly in Canada, and if you Google Norman Acoustics right now, you're going to see a big paddle headstock, and that's why Seagull Acoustics, you see them in the United States and other countries where Martin is really heavy in the trademarking um, because the Seagull headstock is far from that. So a Seagull and a, and a Norman are almost the same acoustic guitar, <laughs> just ba basically, right? They just have different headstocks, and they do that for that legality reasons. So it's crazy. So this easy question is, hey, Phil, do you think Fender, Gibson, and PRS will ever make a he headless guitar like Ormsby's doing, like Kiesel's doing? Like, you know, I I'm trying to pick it like companies like Strandberg who are only doing headless, but I'm talking about brands who are literally reaching into doing headless guitars. Ibanez has a headless guitar now, right? And I'm like, and Ibanez has an intellectual property headstock, but I really think, especially Fender, but then also Gibson and PRS, and probably in that order, Fender, Gibson, and PRS, those three companies, it would be interesting to see the challenge they're going to have to fight if they decide to basically take the, the right? That's the, that's the soul of their intellectual property is this, the look of their headstock. I mean, their logo, right? Their headstock. Literally, you're going to cut that off with a saw? 
<laughs> it's crazy. And so literally, how is that going to go forward? How are they going to go forward in a world where headless guitars are gaining so fast? Because, you know, first, look, most players, older players think they're ugly, either because they were traumatized by the Steinberger stuff in the 80s. And they were like, <laughs> they're like, I'm not getting that haircut again. And I'm not getting that guitar again. Or they just didn't like them in the beginning. And like I said, so they, they, there's really the older players are really not into the headless guitars. Younger players definitely into headless guitars. I mean, it's 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 as predominant as you know anything else in their in their eyes. You know, you look at younger players, but but players out there that know, okay, that have been playing. If you've played headless guitars, you know they take a beating. They are beautiful instruments when it comes to the amount of craziness, crazy things you can do to them. Um, like I said, because. You know, you're, you're making it smaller because there's not as much wood for the neck. And, of course, no tuning keys, the stability of the bridges. It's just a really easy way to make a guitar. And it's really cool, right? And they've redesigned some of the, the problems that were some of the problems in the beginning. Some of you guys, I had a viewer a few weeks ago say a comment about one of my headless guitars. And obviously, they just didn't know that things have changed, okay? So they said, oh, I would get a headless guitar, but I hate doing the double ball ends. For you younger folk, you probably don't know this, but originally when they had headless guitars, they had a ball end on one side of the string, and then you had to have custom uh, strings made, had that had ball ends on the other side. Um, that's not how it works now. Now it's essentially just a clamp system. See, there's just, see if I can show you this right there. You can see there's little Allen wrenches right there. The string goes through and it clamps right there. And then the way this guitar is designed, uh, there's nothing poking out. To, you know, obviously I wouldn't do that if there was, it could hurt me. So that's essentially as easy as it can, you know, it's as easy as it is. So um, you can use any strings on a headless guitar, whether it's a Strandberg, whether it's an Ormsby, whether it's a, a, a Kiesel, whatever. Uh, I mean, it's super easy. You just pull it through, <laughs> lock it, cut it off. I mean, it's super fast. It, it tunes up in minutes. And um, some people don't like the way the, the bridges turn. And I understand that. Uh, Strandberg had, uh, if you go watch my podcast with Strandberg, Ola said the original models were really difficult. And he's he's definitely upgraded them. I will attest to the newer ones a lot better. The hip shot stuff that Kiesel's using, the hip shot branded stuff seems to be the best to me for what I like. But, you know, it's all pretty good. Um, but yeah, and then Fast Freddy 30, uh, 333 says, my spirit uh, of Steinberg... Uh, Spirit and being the model Steinberger um, uh, still uses the double ball ends. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I once talked to the guys at Dodario who said they still have to make double ball ends because there's all these guitars that are still exist out there that have double ball ends. And now, of course, Gibson owns Steinberger and they're continuing to make them uh, that way, I believe. I believe the new ones are double ball ends. I didn't look when I just saw some recently. Um, and they said, somebody said, no neck dive. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, so interesting, right? It's an interesting discussion. At least I think it is. And in fact, you can see I got excited about it because, like I said, it's one of those things that hit me like a wall. Like, wow, I never thought about that. Yeah, uh, certain brands are going to want to stay totally away from a style of design. So, and, it, and to me, it would be like Fender would, I think Fender would crush with headless guitars. I think a lot of players out there, if you made a Mexican headless Strat, made Mexico headless Strat, I think players might be, that'd be their first guitar. Give it a try. Not even a Squire. I mean, a Squire even better. Uh, I think um, it's, it's, for me, I didn't really enjoy the headless concept until I found the Delos. And, and the reason is because is it felt like a normal guitar to me. Some of the other ones were a little weird. The Strymberg ones are really cool, but again, they're out there. It's kind of a, 
you know, it's an acquired taste. I love my Stranberry, but it's an acquired taste. Um, you're not just going to pick it up and feel it, uh, feel it, you know, and go, yeah, it's normal. So interesting. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Put comments down below. Tell me what you think. Tell me if you think they're going to do it. That's the real question. Do you think Gibson, Paul Reed Smith, and Fender, the big three, since we already know Ibanez is up there, they're pretty big. Uh, Ibanez has done it. Do you think they'll ever go headless, right? Even if an artist. And and so, and actually where the epiphany came from was in that Kiesel walkthrough, the factory walkthrough. I don't know if you guys, some of you guys saw that. Um, he mentioned that, that, uh, what he mentioned? He mentioned the guitar player from Deftones, who's still with ESP, has a headless version with Kiesel. So just, even though he's, he's with ESP, he's still going to be with ESP, but he's going to do a headless version, Kiesel coming out. Um, and then, uh, what was the other guitar player? The other guitar player was, who's the other guitar player that just, who does Framus? Why am I having trouble with this? <laughs> um, so we're seeing this. And so this brought me, that brought me to my buddy, Larry, who basically has his own signature nags. He's the reason I own a nags is cause I, you know, I loved his nags so much and, um, he plays nags. He has no interest in not playing his nags, but he's even thinking like, oh, well maybe, one headless guitar for a quick, you know, turnaround date, right? Just carry it on, throw in the in the overhead of the airplane and just go. I have a headless guitar for a quick. So you can see the artists definitely thinking this way. Look at all the artists now. Look at their logic. Uh, um, oh, thank you. Um, Billing Tano. Billing Tano says Stephen Carpenter from the Deftones and Unfreaking Believable said Devin Townsend. Devin Townsend, of course, is the other one who's got his, he's using the Leia, the the, the Leia uh, headless guitar Kiesel, even though he's still got his Framus. And so when Larry reached out to me and said, hey man, uh, I'm thinking about getting a, a headless Delos, you know, what do you think of it? Kind of like travel wise. Cause I think what he's doing is he's thinking the same way, like a fly date. The same reason we're seeing artists all of a sudden going Kempers and Axe Effects and all this stuff, right? They're like, hey, look, uh, you know, in the new Fender modeling unit, right? The whole idea is like, I'm not bringing all these amps, right? I got a fly date. I'm just gonna take my rig, a portable rig with my sounds, or this is the shipping costs. It could be a big deal. Now, I put, I pinned somebody during this discussion, um, and I forgot the name, so I apologize, because it was two names, but I'm answering your question right now. <laughs> Again, I apologize. Um, the question is, when I flew uh, with the headless Delos, did I check it or did I carry it on the plane? I carried it on the plane. So what I did is, uh, and this is how what I've learned to do with the headless guitar, is, because it fits in the overhead, no problem, like no problem, okay? Um, what I do, and I, you don't have to do it the way I do it. I'm just telling you the way I do it, okay? When I go to the airport and I check my luggage, because I usually check a bag, but it's up to you if you're going to do that. Um, when I check them, I tell the person there, because I have the guitar on my shoulder, which they don't even care, but I'm just telling you what I do. I say, I'm going to gate check this, okay? So they go, oh, okay. This, that way they don't even ask me, because I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about whether I'm checking it or carrying it on the plane. They don't need to know. I'm just like, I'm going to gate check this. <laughs> and they go, okay. And for those of you that don't know what gate check means, it means that you're going to take it all the way to the plane. Like a person with a stroller and a wheelchair, they will, obviously, you know, you take your kid with a stroller all the way to the gate, and then you check it at the gate, and as a courtesy, they take it and they put it on the plane last and then they pull off the plane first. So when you get off the plane, you know, obviously you need your wheelchair and your stroller. Um, so that's what I tell them. When I go to get on the plane, I just walk on the plane and put it on the overhead. If they say anything like, hey, there's no room, we're over, you know, we got over too much luggage because maybe you're too far back in the rows and stuff. 
or whatever happens that, you know, the planes is full, um, then you can gate check it. And so in my particular case, the Kiesel gig bag, uh, the guys at Kiesel told me I could throw it off a second building, second story building. So, uh, I figured, uh, <laughs> they told me that personally. So I figured, well, if I gate check it and it gets destroyed, I'm going to like, I'll just, I'll just tell them, right. I'll tell them and they'll have to take care of it or something. Cause I'm like, that's what they said. So, um, but I've never had a gate check it. So, you know, every time I got on the plane, I just put it on the plane and it works perfect. And it works great for me because I usually, you, you can't check all your lithium batteries and stuff. So I keep all my lithium batteries and stuff in my guitar gig bag. That's how I do it. So, uh, that's how you can do it. And like I said, you can, um, if you have a full size guitar, you can try do the same exact thing. You can say you're going to gate check the guitar and then uh, full size guitar in a case. And then again, try to put it on the plane. If it fits an overhead, great. If it doesn't, you can ask to put it in the closet, the pilot's closet. And sometimes they'll let you do that. And if you can't do that, at least you get to gate check it. And if you're in a pretty decent case, you can understand like it's going on the plane last and it's coming off first. So it's going to be a little safer, a little safer. That's how I did that. But, um, so there you go. <laughs> Uh, all right. All right. So, uh, thank you guys for indulging me on that conversation. Please. I hope you guys put comments on, especially on the replay of this video. I'm really interested in this idea that what, what is a company going to do? Right. You know, if, if they can't, you know, and Fender would be easy. They could just put the Fender logo like right here, right? Just put Fender right, right there. Just put the Fender logo here. It doesn't need to be on the headstock, but I don't think that's what it's about for them. I think I think, like I said, I hope I'll call them out. <laughs> they won't watch this. They don't care about this show. <laughs> but hey, Fender, if you make a headless guitar, I'll tell you what I'll do. Uh, how crazy is this? This is for Fender, for Gibson, and Paul Reed Smith. Barring some crazy, don't I'm not doing no crazy, you know, master built twenty thousand dollar guitar. You, you know, so not that's not practical. But here's what I will tell you guys: if any one of those three companies, right? probably all three, to be honest with you, but anyone, especially the first one, any one of those companies make a production headless guitar, I will absolutely promise right now, I will buy one and review it on the channel. I will definitely put it on the channel. They won't care about that. They're not, you know, I'm too, you know, I'm, I'm nobody, but I'm just telling you guys, I'm actually telling to you guys, that's where, that's where, how excited I am with this idea. If they actually do it, I would, I will do it. If any one of those companies make a headless guitar, I would definitely, but and, uh, and in that video, I will eat crow and say, I was wrong. They totally, they totally proved me wrong. They made it. But I have a feeling all three companies are going to stay away from the idea of taking a saw to the intellectual property part of their guitar and letting that fall on the factory floor and then seeing where this takes them just to basically get a few younger players. But I think they would all get, I think they would, I think it would rock. I don't know about you guys, man. I think if Gibson made a headless Gibson guitar, I think every guy would want to, you know, every person would want a Gibson that loves Gibson will have the Gibson, the traditional style Gibson, and then just one with a headless just because that's, and that would be the one they really play. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, so, <laughs> Stephen Russell says headless version with a magnetic clip on headstock to make it, uh, you know what's funny about that? Um, I, I make that joke all the time that, uh, they, they should make, everybody should make like little, little wooden headstocks for the headless guitars that just plug in the hole, like just plug it on there and just, cause you know, cause some people just, you know, they can't get past the way this looks. I understand, man. This is like, it's just weird, but I can tell you, man, the, uh, if I was, I told you guys all the time, I'm dumb as hell. So if I was smart, 
I just have headless guitars now. They play and sound great. I don't know what I get out of having more, more, more. <laughs> it's just more. They're they're easier to play. They're they stay in tune. They sound great. Just you know, part of it is like I don't know. I still like you know traditional looking guitars. That's where it is. So okay. <laughs> Casey Lee says, "Where do I clip my snark?" Um, you know, it's a good question. Do I have? So I don't have a snark because I was obviously this guitar was right next to me because this is like I said I played the headless ones right before the show and stuff. Um, the snarks. This is the Daddario one, which I like a little bit better for headless guitars. Okay, this particular one. This one's thirty dollars, so it's not cheap. Um, I just do that. So there you go. It's right on there. No problems. The Snark will do it too, so you know, but I like the Daddario one for my headless guitars. And it clips onto my Strandbergs as well too. I have no problem with that. So, uh, and this is rechargeable just like the Snark ones. So there you go. So I use the Snark ones and then I have, uh, and I bought this when I was on vacation. <laughs> so there you go. All right, uh, Raiders of the Last Snark. Okay. <laughs> I'm not old Vince says, really, Phil, you don't have a Snark? Oh, I have a ton of them. They're all literally behind the headstocks, all these guitars. But, uh, like I said, right next to me at this desk, I have headless guitars. That's what I have, because that's what I'm, like I said, I play them, because you pick them up and they're in tune. It's really nice. So, okay. Uh, James Nicholson says, Phil, how many guitars do you think you would own if you didn't do YouTube? Ten. Maybe 12. Maybe 12. Probably 10. 10, for sure. Because um, that's essentially what I had. I mean, think of this. I had, I had when I had a store, you could say I had all the guitars, right? Because it was my store. But if you watch the videos when I had a store, I probably had about 10, 12 guitars uh, at home. Because, you know, I was around them all day. Um, same same now, you know, I mean, like I said, I probably have 10 or 12. There's 10 or 12 guitars that just speak to me a little special and they're, you know, something. But it's not just because I review guitars and they're here and it's not because companies send them and stuff. It's like I said, I've received some really interesting gifts. I'm going to do a video. Uh, I'm doing a video for fun for Christmas. I did one a couple years ago and I thought it'd be cool to do an update one. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be my five or my three or my 10. You know, it's going to be whatever it is, the number. Um, but let's just say five, my five weirdest guitars. I did this video before, but I have some really weird guitars now. So I thought, and um, interestingly enough, what I learned is uh, when I was writing down the list of the guitars, they can work in this video, I'll go, and this will be interesting. I realized like almost all my weird guitars were gifts from friends, from, you know, people in the industry for something. So I was like, oh, wow, these are weird guitars. And I literally have them because uh, of gifts and they are weird. <laughs> I don't play, this is, it won't be a clickbait where it's like weird guitars and I'll be like, this one comes in a rare color. Like it's going to be like, this has 38 strings and this one has a laser that shoots, <laughs> right? Like they're crazy guitars that I've accumulated that are weird. Um, so there you go. Uh, so. Oh, Brian says, which Lego set are you doing for Christmas? You know, Brian... Oh, we're not. You know, I didn't even think about it, buddy. Uh, what's funny, so you guys know, uh, for uh, every year, my uh, wife and kids do a Lego set. I buy the Lego sets, and then uh, I drink wine, and they put them together. That's how it works. And uh, I didn't do it. My kids, um, so my kids uh, basically moved out. <laughs> so I, I'm 
I'm uh, we're empty nesters. Uh, they they've they've what's great is I say they've grown up and moved away, but they've grown up and moved away. But they did what I love. Uh, I'm super happy. They both live literally. I can walk to I can they can walk here. I can walk there in 10 minutes like they're here. Right. Um, but my daughter obviously is going to college and she's working all the time. She works like six days a week and she goes to college. Um, and um, so we see them um, a lot throughout the week, but it's like a 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. Sometimes they come in the middle of the night. <laughs> we wake up in the middle of the night hearing cabinets. You know, we know they came through because you see the door. <laughs> you see the, the cameras and stuff at the door. But um, but yeah, so I didn't think about getting them because, you know, we don't know what activities uh, are, are going on. Um, and we're having uh, Christmas got a little issue going. We have fam some family issues, some ha uh, fa close family relatives, health issues and stuff. So Christmas got a little uh, cannibalized, so to speak. We're not doing it really like we were going to do it before. So I might look into that. I mean, Legos will be a nice way to kind of bring it back together. Um, okay. The, um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. So we go like fridge raid. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Okay. Um, let's do, let's do another guitar question. We have, uh, locks, locks sustainer says, Hey, Phil, Love your podcast. Thank you so much for saying so. I'm wanting to remove the finish on my 70 Strat clone and redo it with true oil. Any tips on how you would approach this? So again, like I always say, I'm not a finish guy, um, but I have removed a lot of finishes on guitars. You you said, hold on, let me refresh this. You said, uh, you didn't say what kind of Strat style guitar. Um, your uh, 70 Strat clone. So Strat clone. So I'm going to assume it's a polyurethane. Uh, finish it's uh, it could be polyester or, or uh you know but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's polyurethane it's just not lacquer which means it's going to be thick it's going to be a pain and so what i would really recommend is not is going online i know this is like the worst advice ever basically you just super chat a youtuber to tell you i'm going to tell you go to YouTube, other youtubers there are a ton of videos um out there where they show you where they use a heat gun and they kind of just remove the finish off these guitars um, when I did it, I always did it with just, we just, I just took a power sander and removed all the finish the old fashioned way. And I don't recommend it. It creates a huge mess. And it's, I haven't removed finish on a guitar, uh, in probably 10 years. You know what I mean? So when I was doing it before, there wasn't really like a whole lot of plethora of like how to videos like on that, but there's probably now 50 easy, 50 good YouTube videos of people removing finish off guitars, showing you how to do that. I would definitely search for those. Um, and, uh, what's nice is the community usually speaks up. So a bunch of them will probably point out a couple few videos there too. But like I said, good, good luck with that. So, you know, um, if you want, I know here's the deal. I want to give you my real, like what I really think you should do, but I saw that you super chatted me in AUD, which I'm pretty sure is Australian. So I pretty much my answer isn't going to help you, which is definitely just get a new body, <laughs> get an unfinished body. You can get in a, look, I'm all for, <laughs> I'm all for sweat equity, right? Um, but sometimes it's tough. You know what I mean? It's tough to go, okay, I'm going to basically do all this work to this body. It's going to take up, you know, 10 hours of labor and you can buy, uh, you know, for an, uh, a strat clone body, you can buy an unfinished strat body for $50 ready to go primered and, you know, primered and ready or just unfinished. 
uh, so you can put the true oil on it. But I know you understand, because um, here's what you, here's the bad news. You can't apply true oil to that guitar until you're down to the wood, and it's going to be hard. It, it's, it's, you got to get all that finish off, and then essentially what's going to happen, which sucks, is even when you think you got it all off, you're going to be applying that true oil, and all of a sudden, it won't stick. You know, it won't, it, it won't absorb into the wood because you're going to have a couple spots. Um, it's, a, it's a nightmare. Plus, you don't know what's underneath that body. You can have a five-piece wood body, and <laughs> I've seen it all, man. They, they not even be, may not even be the same kinds of wood. <laughs> you could have a... <laughs> they definitely won't be the same colors. So I don't want to discourage you, but I want you to be aware of what's coming up. Like I said, if you can... Like, like I personally would also recommend maybe just sanding and you know sanding it down and then just painting it a new color taking it down to woods painting ass for this kind of stuff but best of luck let me know how it goes uh music therapy last says for the holiday growler uh i know it has gluten sorry shauna yeah you know it's funny i haven't done the growlers in a long time uh so uh maybe it is time for a growler <laughs> i'll make sure to go to the right place Okay, Mr. S says, how well do headless uh, stay in tune compared to regular guitars, compared to Evertune? They're always in tune. Okay, so Evertune is the same thing. It's always in tune. They're always in tune. Uh, Evertune, I would say, is more so. I mean, Evertune is like literally, it's a mechanism just, you know, if you watch that video, I, I mean, you can't knock it out of tune for the most part. Uh so, I mean, Evertune is, is just as good as the concept of guaranteeing that you're in tune. But it's not really travel-y. You know what I mean? So the headless adds the travel aspect. Also, not only the travel adds aspect, but again, portability. Like I said, you can put it on the couch. Downfall headless, though, is that they're harder to hang on the wall. <laughs> so that's the thing you want to do. But, um, but I mean, if it's... Uh, but. Uh, Evertune, in my experience, because like I said, I've, I've done the video now of Evertune and I went through that guitar thoroughly. And the Evertunes are legit. They're as legit as everybody claims. Um, amazing. So, um, the other... No, that's I'm going to leave it there. I was going to say... I think maybe the Evertunes probably had uh, make... I think add sustain, because I, I, I felt the guitar sustained actually better with Evertune, but... Either way is good. Uh, Steven says headless version of head, headless version with a magnetic clip on headstock to make it look standard. Made a balsa Hollywood, yeah, for a Christmas bonus chat. Yeah, yeah, like a fake headstock would be would be huge. Uh, Ariella Ariella says, would Badlands make a headless guitar? I'm gonna say no. Isn't that funny? No, because um, remember the Badlands thing, you know, is to bring 80s era guitars back in the way that they were made in the 80s, you know, uh, using kind of the same way that they were made. So CNC, but not the most advanced CNC, you know, where basically, you know, to get the vibe right. Um, the Badlands guitars, this is where the downfall of the business model is, of course, right? Um, it's not only trying to recreate an 80s era guitar, but... It's trying to create an 80s era guitar that someone who had an 80s era guitar or played 80s era guitars, when they pick it up, they go, this is it. This is what it feels like. 
feels like this. It's got the same kind of, you know, quirks to it. It's got the same kind of, you know, quality to it. It's got the same things going on. So it's really about grabbing that and bringing that. Um, if you guys saw, we we leaked uh, that we have some prototypes and some of them have stainless steel. We're calling that new school and old school. We're, we're flirting with at least modernizing some things. Obviously, you know, we want to make the guitar quality. So, you know, quality trust rods, stuff like that. But a headless, I mean, I wouldn't say ne never. I mean, you know, but I mean, it'd have to be an 80s headless, so it'd be like a Steinberger kind of thing. Or maybe I think there was a headless Kramer. Maybe we can go into that. But I just don't see a headless being, um, you know, a huge thing. What's really interesting, what's really interesting, um, Ariel, since you brought this up, something happened this week that was really interesting, at least to me. So let me show you guys this. So a bunch of uh, a bunch of y'all. Oh my goodness! I had no idea it was that much. <laughs> okay, uh, a bunch of y'all. Oh no no. Oh no! Close up pictures. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, uh, a bunch of y'all. I'm saying it that way. A bunch of y'all emailed me this week and said, "Did you see the new Lizzie Hale Voyager guitar?" And I I did because you guys said, "Did you check it out?" Uh, Brian sent me one too. Thank you, Brian. And so here it is. This is the Lizzie Hale Voyager Diamond Holographic Sparkle with Case Kramer Guitar, $14.99. I was curious where it's made. Most of the Kramers are made in Indonesia. This one's not saying where it's made. I'm, I'm curious if it's China. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Indonesia because that's where they're making the other ones. But, you know, a guitar like this, they might want to keep the pricing because uh, the, the, the finish is, you know, it's an expensive sparkle finish. Um, and of course, you know, it's a lot of pieces of wood and stuff. Why I'm showing you this one, just to show you the new Lizzie Hale guitar, because I'm a huge fan of Lizzie Hale. As you guys know, I reviewed the Lizzie Hale, uh, Epiphone, her white one, which is really cool. Um, this guitar is really interesting because of what she said. She said something in the interview when she was on Ola England's, uh, show. She was having with coffee with Ola and, um, in the video of the interview, she said, hey, they did this diamond sparkle finish. I'm trying to, there it is. It's hard to zoom in on it, which is really cool. And she said they wanted to look 80s. Obviously, this is a very 80s looking guitar. And she said, we wanted to do the hollow, like the hollow flash, the holographic uh, guitar, but they couldn't do it because it's dangerous, right? It's like dangerous. She, she doesn't really explain why. She just says it's like dangerous. Like, you know, basically it's 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 like, uh, what do you call it? It's, uh, it's dangerous. She said, basically, I'm trying, I think it's the word she used. She might've used another word. Uh, she's not, it's not safe, right? Which is interesting. So funny enough uh, that obviously Badlands did the hollow flash guitar. We have the hollow flash right there. Um, we had mentioned this, that we had did the hollow flash, but we had to update it for modern times. So we brought back the hollow flash and we, in fact, you know what? I'm gonna get it, hold on a second. So let me do this. So here it is, very flashy, hollow flashy. This uh, hollow flash um, is what she was basically talking about. They wanted to bring back this, cause I mean, Kramer, you know, this is the guitar. This is uh, this Badlands. I mean, this is hell. It's inspired by Kramer. Hell, it's we're just trying to make. We we're trying to make, like literally, Gibson Kramer just said what we were saying. Lizzie Hale said it for them, right? 
Oh, everybody says she said hazardous. Thank you. This is important. This is important. This guitar exists, and we said we made this guitar because Kramer didn't. Because the old 80s companies like Kramer and, and BC Rich and Jackson, they're not bringing back the old looks and the old guitars like we, we remember and not doing it the way we remember and not doing it in the USA. Because again, we want, what we, you know, we want the thing we wanted when we were 16. What's interesting is, even though we brought back this finish, we told you we had to redo the finish. We had to do it with a new clear coat. We had to do it a new way. The company Hollow Flash helped us refine this. So we said we did it because they wouldn't. We did it because they couldn't. We could. We did it because they didn't. And here they are saying they can't, and they're not. I couldn't. I couldn't be more beside myself from that. I was just amazed uh, to hear it. Now, I know the real answer, by the way. Here's the real answer. And I don't think Lizzie Hale would know the answer because she's an artist and she's not a guitar manufacturer. This totally can be done. <laughs> it just can't be done inexpensively and it can't be done in a huge volume, which is why we were limited to 100 pieces. Look, same thing, you know, it's a foil. This isn't the finish. So you guys know when she said it's hazardous, the foil itself, I mean, hell, Paduke wood is dangerous when you sand it. You can die from it. You can get in your lungs. But once it's sanded, <laughs> you know, obviously, Nuno Bittencourt is not dying playing a, a Paduke guitar. So you can play guitars with Paduke on and stuff. Same with this. You, you could, you can, Henning Polly from, uh, could lick this guitar if he wanted to. He would not die, I promise. Uh, so um, this isn't going to do anything because it's, it's covered in a clear coat, which is something they weren't doing back in the 80s. They were letting the foil exposed. Um, and they were doing it in different ways because of the fact that, because uh, the clear coat really messed up the reflective properties of the of the finish. And like I said, I'd love to sit there and tell you going, and we figured it out because we're geniuses. We didn't figure out anything. We literally just went to buy some Hollow Flash, and the company Hollow Flash said, hey, we can help you make it better now. <laughs> we're like, oh, good. <laughs> and then they, they did it for us. Um, so we did it. And... That, that proves what we were saying, that it is a hard finish to do. Um, and uh, I would imagine that they could have made the Lizzie Hill guitar out of the hollow flash, but my guess is $1,500 for an import guitar, it would have to be done in a lower lower run, smaller run. It would be a lot more expensive. Even if it was made in Indonesia, it'd probably be two dollars $3,000. Obviously, if they want $1,500 for that finish, which is a very expensive finish, it would be more expensive. So we did it. And that was, so to, I know this is again long-winded, but I just want you to understand, this isn't to plug Badlands. I don't have anything to sell you guys for Badlands, okay? There's no guitars to sell you, okay? Um, the, the point is to tell you what the mission statement was, was, which is why, think about this. I have a signature arrangement with Kiesel. PRS is sitting guitars. These companies don't look at us as competition. What we're making is a very unique, small, niche guitar that no one seems to be interested in making. And we're trying to make it affordable for a few people who think it's cool and that want to do this with us, you know, try, take this little road with us. It'll never be this huge production thing because uh, we can't, right? It's not about like, oh, yeah, we say that now, but wait till later. We just can't. Um, so same with the headless guitar. I, I don't know if we would do that because, like I said, what we're really focused on is exactly what we said. Trying to bring a guitar to market for those middle-aged people who felt like they missed out. <laughs> and don't want to pay $3,000, $4,000 for a chipped up beat up one on reverb and hope that it works out. So there you go. 
Um, so really cool. So it was a really cool week. Uh, that was cool. And like I said, I still love that Kramer one, by the way. That one's badass as hell. That would be definitely one I would own. <laughs> so it's just cool. And I love that finish. As you guys know, I'm really big into the heavy sparkle finishes. Um, my buddy Brian owns Paint Huffer, and uh, my, my Flake finished guitar is one of my favorite guitars. And they're expensive. So there you go. Uh... Uh, Pete Brown says, hey, Phil, do you still sell any more KYG merch? We do. There's a link down below uh, to get it, and it's just limited right now what we have. We're, we're getting there. <laughs> I say that all the time. They, we'll get, we'll, I don't know. We'll get there. Okay. Uh, Alan's Guitar Channel says, uh, hey, Alan, what's up? He says, I'm not looking forward to when import guitars are 2K. They're already there. Strandbergs are 2K. 3k there there are import guitars there there 2k it's it's coming you know it's just it's you know hell they're already at 1500 all day it's it's coming if it's not already there it's it's coming so uh the good news is this there's still great guitars for 300 bucks like i said there's there, this is a luxury item you know if you want to buy a nice guitar that's crazy expensive and that you know and you have the ability to do that or the insanity to do that um the uh uh i was i was talking to uh, uh a friend the other day and we were talking about our passion in the industry and um and uh he obviously is a very talented person more way more talented than me anyways talented uh, guitar player in the in the industry well-known guitar player and we were talking and we we're talking about our passion and I made the comment that, you know, this has been my passion since, you know, I, since, you know, you know, high school. Right. you know, and, um, and I said, uh, this is true, absolutely true story, <laughs> what I'm going to say and kind of dumb to admit, but it's true. As you guys know, I've been married now for 25 years and obviously 25 years of marriage before that we were together for like five years. And then before that we were friends. Right. Uh, so so either way, long time, been a long time uh, with this lovely woman. Uh, however, just to give you an idea of what she's had to deal with, there was a time in our life where the end tables in our front room of our apartment were my base cabinets and my, or sorry, my PA cabinets. I'm seeing messing this up. The end tables were my PA cabinets and our coffee table was my base cabinet. This is an absolute true story that when I would go to a gig, she would have nowhere to put a plate if she wanted to eat, like while watching TV or anything, because half our furniture was my guitar gear turned into furniture. Like, like I had expensive base cabinets and I had no furniture. <laughs> um, I, and I told him this and he was laughing because he could relate and he was telling me a story that was like that. And I said, I almost don't, I almost can't love or be friends a deep friendship with anyone that doesn't understand what I'm saying when I say this. Like, I know what I'm saying is stupid, but you understand that that stupidity that that I have, it's so important to me that if you can't relate to like, <laughs> if you can't relate to like, I, I once, you know, I, <laughs> I once skipped, you know, whatever. I don't know. I, you know, I once didn't eat dinner to buy guitar strings. Like if you don't understand that concept, I don't know how to, I kind of get it across. Um, so <laughs> it's a passion thing is what I'm trying to say. 
but yes, it was really cool. Um, all right. So now, and now you guys all know base cabinets make good furniture. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Mr. S says Ned, uh, Ned Steinberger, Ola Strandberg and two luthiers did a panel on headless guitars at last name. Really interesting. You know, I started watching that. I didn't finish. And I, I think it's cause I was probably, uh, like on an airport somewhere watching it. I need to finish it. Um, I will find it and tag it. Uh, cause I'm very interested. Like I said, Ola Strandberg is one of the most interesting guys I've ever interviewed on the sh on this podcast. He's on my second channel. Um, in the, in the, uh, and so, you know, he's not my favorite person I interviewed, but most interesting because he, he really did kind of, I feel, I feel akin to him in the idea that I kind of just, I kind of like wandered in through my life into this stuff, through this stuff. He did the same thing. Like there wasn't, I, I didn't have a clear mission to do anything. I was just doing things and things would happen. He did the same thing. Like he, he, think of this, he came up with this amazing guitar, like almost on accident. You know, the whole thing was an accident. So it's really cool. A great, great video, but super smart. That's where we're not the same. He's super smart. So, uh, so, uh, Steven says Fender could call their special, the sleepy hollow. Yeah, that's nice. Like, a, okay. Um, Let me see real quick. Uh, Amanda threw out a couple of these. Um, uh, okay, Steven says, got a PRS SE soap bar single cut this week used for a really good price. Only issue is that the bridge in it looks like chrome is peeling off. What could that be and could you fix it? Sure, I mean, it could be a simple, I mean, it's an SE, so the bridge is, you know, they don't really, you know, it's a price, it's, obviously they're trying to hit a price point. So the bridge, I mean, I don't know if there's a way to fix it. It's, it's, I would replace it. I know it's, I'm not a big replacing person. As you guys know, I like repair. I like to be able to fix something and bring something back, but I don't know, you know, aside from sandblasting it, you know, all the chrome off and taking it back to natural finish, you know, the natural metal and stuff. I mean, I would just, I would just get a new one and put it in and upgrade it. And, and you could find them all day really inexpensively, you know, um, that's a great thing. Parts aren't super expensive anymore. You know, if you're not replacing, you know, crazy custom shop guitars, I mean, a guitar like that, you can buy a bridge for 30 bucks and uh, just replace it. So there you go. I mean, it's aesthetic only. So unless the chrome is peeling in a way that's going to cut your hand, it's just aesthetic. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be on there. Um, this one's uh, from Marty B says, Hey, Phil, have you ever replaced a hot preamp tube for a cooler one? to improve the clean headroom, uh, slows the roll in the game. Um, kinda, I've never really specifically like used, I know you can get different preamp tubes that, you know, will do that, right? Give you more gain, less gain, stuff like that. But I've swapped out like 12 AX sevens for 12 AT sevens or 12 AU sevens. Uh, one of my first like kind of big breakout videos was showing everybody how to take a Fender hot rod deluxe and put a 12 AT seven in the V one spot. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of like mellow out the amp, you know, with volume and the, and the gain and kind of make it a little more bluesy sounding. And of course, get get a better volume off that pot potentiometer because it's linear. Fender later fixed that hot rod uh, by changing out the potentiometer uh, from the linear to the tapered, I think is what they did. Um, but I've done that many times with amps where I've swapped out it. I have a 12AT and an AU7s. I have a couple of them and I'll plug them in and a V1 spot to see what it does to the amp. 
and taper off. But yeah, I've messed with that. It's not a huge thing though for me. I mean, like I said, I'm not really a tinkerer of the tubes, so to speak. But, you know, I will do certain things if I'm, usually if I'm doing that, it's because I'm not loving the amp and I'm trying to find a way to keep it or fall in love with it. So, um, thank you, Deborah, for the super chat. Ray says, how to make a strat how to make a strat do country what will you play country on it buddy <laughs> right country's got to be in your soul <laughs> you play the country the guitar doesn't the guitar is not music guitars are not music specific i i understand what you're saying so you know but this is where it's interesting when it comes to tone chasing right um you will find that uh, musicians the, the their style of play is so ingrained into them into their DNA that when they play guitars I mean you could you can get you know you can get, <laughs> you can get Brad Paisley to play a, a Dimebag Daryl uh, you know Dean guitar and it's he's gonna he's gonna country that thing up <laughs> right it's gonna come out country so the guitar specifically isn't genre specific. Uh, we say that, you know, we say like fenders are, you know, like a, a telly is a country guitar, a telly is a blues guitar. Um, but tellies are metal guitars. I mean, look at John Five. I mean, there's musicians who always kind of prove that this that it doesn't really matter, right? Yngwie Malmsteen plays single coils and he plays uh, metal, you know, right? I mean, there's all kinds of, of players uh, breaking rules, so to speak. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some guitars, they're not best suited for that genre music, but they're not specifically genre specific. So a, a strat, how do you make it sound country? You play country on it. You you play the style. Uh, you know the guitar itself won't be hindering you, especially a strat. Country players play strats all the time, but it's it's got to start um, from from you. I, I use this a lot. It's one of the things that that gets old and tiring. I love talking about this debate on this podcast. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the tone debate. I love all the debates. They're fun, right? <laughs> this is entertainment. I'm creating entertainment. We're talking about things that are fun to argue. I want you to either go, yeah, that was great, Phil. I'm with you. Or this guy's a moron, right? But either way, because it gets you excited internally and you get thinking and you, you change yourself. But that that being said, besides the whole, like, it's fun to dive in these topics, this is where I always, t I want to just say this. What I really feel about tone wood, what I really feel about, like, t styles of guitars that are specific, uh, whether or not the, t the, the tone is in your hands, or the tone is in the pickups, or the tone is only in the speakers, right? I get that one a lot, too. Guys will go, man, it doesn't matter the amp, just matters the speakers. Somebody will tell me, all of it matters, in my opinion, all of it matters to some degree, but it's more than what you think. I really believe this. So if this makes us not friends, all of us, not you, you, not you specifically, but all of us, here's what it is. It starts tone. It starts here. It starts in your head. It's in your head. You have to have the idea of it. That's where it comes out of your brain first, right? Maybe you heard it from somebody. Maybe you're mimicking someone's tone. Maybe you have a sound in your head. Some people, like literally, some musicians are so crazy talented. This this, this idea comes in their head, and it just it just happens. Some of us, though, we just imitate things. So we hear it, we see it, our brain calculates it, and we reproduce it. So tone starts in your head. It goes in your head, and then it goes to your hands. And then it's about taking this information in your head and making your hands do the thing. And then that goes 
through the strings, right? With the pick, all right? So it's the pick. So tone is your mind, your hands, the pick, the strings, the pickup, the type of wood, the type of paint, the type of bridge, the type of tuning keys, the temperature in the room, <laughs> right? The the emotional state, which is your head again, how you feel, the cable, the amplifier, the speaker, the cabinet, the rubber feet or lack of rubber feet on the cabinet touching the floor. All of that matters, in my opinion. And then where I decide from there is I go, well, how much does it matter? In other words, where do I want to spend my energy trying to solve a problem. Like I said, at the end of the day, I'm a repair guy, right? So to me, it's diagnostics is the number one thing. How do I fix something? How do I figure out what's wrong with it and fix it? To me, when I'm trying to do this equation of how do I get a sound, I take all those things and I go, they all matter. They have to because they all have a variable. And I go, but I only have so much energy and how much time in life. I mean, hell, I have a guitar with no string on it, right? <laughs> like, I don't have time. To... So I go, and then I start deciding, well, first... Why don't I fix me? That's where I start first. Well, maybe I'll get some lessons. Maybe I'll learn the song. Maybe I'll work on the technique, right? Because first of all, if everything's replicating something, it's going to replicate uh, your your technique. And if your technique's crap, that's what it replicates, right? <laughs> right? There's a reason why people watch a video of the same pedal. I mean, here's the argument of the ages. I've reviewed the exact same pedal the exact same day as Pete Thorne. And Pete Thorne sounded amazing. And I sounded... Uh... <laughs> Right. And when they watched the videos, they went, okay, that's that's what the pedal can sound like if somebody's talented got it. That's Pete Thorne. And that's what Phil McKnight did with it. So I'm probably closer to Phil than Pete Thorne. That's I'm not making this up. This is true. These are real conversations I've had with guys like Pete Thorne, <laughs> Tim Pierce, all these guys. Um, we watch them to go, this is what they can do with it. So that's what the thing is capable of doing right? It's like, how fast can this car go? Look at that race car guy going 120 miles an hour. But how does it handle on his way to work? That's what filming nights going to show me. <laughs> how practical is it? <laughs> like if I have, if I, can, if I can play a little bit, okay, how does it sound? Right? And so essentially we got to start there, how you play. And then like I said, we're going to, we're going to then start tweaking each thing. Me, I'm more focused on the big, the big problems. The speaker is a big problem. Make sure you're a good speaker. Make sure it's good pickup. Make sure your strings are good, right? Um, those are to me more than I'm going to worry about, like how thick the paint on a guitar is, or, <laughs> or, or you know, the temperature of the room. Although I think that matters, I point zero one percent maybe. Depends. So, um, so this is a long way to go. But back, I want you to understand with your your question, which is a very good question, by the way. You know, how do you make a Strat sound country? Well, you sound country, and then the guitar will too. Sounds like a cop out, and that's why I wanted to go in this elaborate this way with you because I don't want you to think I'm just I'm making fun of you or I'm saying something silly. I I really mean this. Like you got to play some country style stuff, and then that was what the guitar come out of it. <laughs> and the only thing I can tell you is country. In my experience, country players love a big clean sound, and that's why. Um, some of that stuff is hard to play because they don't use a lot of breakup and distortion. Some modern country does, but man, man, older country. Oh man. Some of those licks, they're like, they're like shred metal level difficulty, but then no distortion, no delay, nothing to hide behind. Just you and a PV classic on clean. 
<laughs> which is why I don't play a lot, a lot of country because I don't think you get, there's music. I, I tell you all the time, fake it, you know, right? You can fake it. There's a hell, there's a book called, you know, the fake book, right? And jazz and stuff. But, you know, fake it till you make it, right? You can fake it. I, I tell everybody all the time, I can fake 18 seconds probably of anything, right? That's what being in a music store taught me demoing guitars for people. They're like, hey, I want to buy this guitar and I'm really into reggae. And I'm like, all right. And I play and they go, wow, you play really good reggae. I'm like, as long as we only play that seven seconds, you're probably going to think that I do. <laughs> so I learned how to fake a little bit of everything. Um, but I've learned that some music is almost impossible to fake. And some of the country stuff, man, it's just, it's just too tricky. It's too hard if you're doing the hard stuff. Um, yeah, uh, Binky Warren says Glenn Campbell can shred. Well, a lot of those, look, a lot of... A lot of country players are closet shredders, right? Like they, they literally, we had no idea. You know, they were playing, they, play, they can play licks that just don't seem like, you know, it's what's happening is happening. And all of a sudden you start paying attention. When you go to learn it, you're just like, oh my God, this is, this is horrible. Like, how am I going to do this? I can't do this at all. So, um, so uh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Ian's Guitar Shack says, tone is from the butt. I know I wanted to read that just because I wanted to think if I could think of something witty as a retort or, you know, nothing, nothing. So tone is in the butt. Using my logic, man, I, I guess we would assign everything on a percentage. So we would have to argue how much of the tone is from the butt. <laughs> so... Could be why everybody plays sitting down now <laughs> to get better tone. <laughs> All right. Uh, Josh Smith says, help uh, for some new wiper blades on my on the dump truck. Don't buy Rain-X brand. It's a racket. Yes, the dump truck. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. So uh, the uh, nice, nice. Thank you, Josh. Uh, okay, Stephen Russell says, hey, why... Why do you not do KYG strings, picks, guitar straps, uh, neck bean bags, cushions, in industrial grade? Hope you can still have a good Christmas. Um, you, well, you know, it's that's very, very astute of you to um, mention those things because that's absolutely what you should be doing if you have any kind of uh, small, you know, success on a platform like this, right? I should be like, hey, buy my Know Your Gear strings, buy my uh, you know, picks and things. Um, cause again, that's how you really fund the channel, right? It's a really good idea. Um, the problem I have, and it's a big problem <laughs> is I, I've said this before where like, when I give advice, like essentially this, this QA thing is like, Phil, you know, people ask things and I talk about the subject they're interested in or the question they're interested in. I try to give some insight and, I know that comes across like, you know, I like you're a know-it-all. I'm not a know-it-all. I'm really a, a, a dumbass as a whole. But like I said, I, I've been around, right? Um, I love stand-up comedy. There's a comedian who says, um, I almost can't have a conversation with anyone under 40. I don't mean to insult anybody under 40, but he says this, right? He says, uh, I almost can't have a conversation with anybody under 40 because they haven't, you know, every, everybody over 40 has got a funny story at least or something to that effect. I'm, I'm messing up the routine, I'm sure. The point is is that I've lived a little while in this industry so I can tell you all the things that happened to me. So notice almost every piece of advice is really not a direct answer. It's a story about a thing that happened to me because I, you know, I have a really amazing memory. And on top of that, I not only can I remember a lot of 
information. I can remember a lot of things that happened to me. So I'll just tell you like, oh, this is what happened. You know, your question, this is what happened when I did that. And then maybe get some insight from that. Um, so the reason that ties into picks and strings and stuff is that goes the same. I can't, look, I don't want to sit here and go buy a zither stand. They're $200 stands. Look, I get it, man. You can buy a really nice gator stand. Dude, the gator company has super been kind to me. They send me random gifts sometimes. They've offered to sponsor video videos. They're always at the PR, are the uh, Sweetwater events. Gator has definitely done everything you can ask a company to try to get my attention to promote Gator stuff to you. But I don't use Gator. I use string swings and I use zither stands. That's what I use. And I kind of align myself to that logic of I don't tell you what I think you should do. I tell you what I did. And then hopefully there's something to learn or not learn from that. And same thing with product. I'll review product and I'll give you my insight into it. But when we're talking about sticking up my my brand, the know your gear thing, the brand is me. I'm the brand. So essentially it's like a seal of approval on something. And that seal of approval is not that it's good. The seal of approval is that I use it. That's how I look at it, right? So... Um, cause I don't think you care what I, <laughs> I think people are curious, like, what do you use? Right? Like, so that's why stuff like that. So strings, so I can tell you right now, I use uh string joy strings and, uh, and Daddario strings. Those are the two brands of strings I use. That's the only two strings I use. I do not use any other strings as a whole. I have a video coming sponsored by DR because DR is sponsoring the strings and I like DR strings and I like other brands of strings too, but I pretty much just use a string joy and and to Dario, and I've said this up front, because again, I like I said, everything's biased. Just what is the bias? I like those people. I like the people at Stringjoy. I like them. I know them personally. And I like the people at Dario. I know them personally. I like them. So I use their stuff. It's the same reason people super chat me and, you know, and patron me and stuff. They they go, I like what you're doing. I like you. I'm going to help you do your thing. I'm the same thing. I uh, So I, I do that. But like I said, I don't necessarily. So when people go, oh, earning balls are better. I'm like, they probably are. I don't know anybody on a ball, not a single person. So that wouldn't do me any good, <laughs> right? Um, because I'm not picking it for that reason. I'm picking it because I, I like these relationships that I have that are nice people. Um, so same thing. So uh, same thing with all this other stuff. Uh, picks wise, I use uh, picks. I only use, I have know your gear picks to give away. Um, but so, you know, they're just, my, you know, my wife has them made and then they're, I don't use them. <laughs> at all there's just like so you, i can give you guys something you know it has a logo it's like a you know guitar token uh you know uh, a thing but like i said up front these are the three picks i use these are the only three picks i use these are them so i use the herco pick which was the pick that when i got to meet eddie van halen at this event uh they gave us eddie van halen picks which were the herco picks and so after i used the picks they gave me i just bought herco picks so i'll use these a lot so Herco picks, um, I call it a cat tongue. It's really, uh, my hands are very dry. I don't have sweaty hands at all. So I don't, I don't, I need something that's like almost like sandpaper holding my, my like fingers. Cause they're my hands. I, I've said this before as a while ago. Um, I can't open the plastic bags at the grocery store for, um, for produce. 
Like my hands are so dry, like all the time. My hands are dry all the time. Anybody seen close to my videos? I mean, my hands are all chewed up all the time from working on stuff because, you know, right? I work on things. <laughs> and um, and I try to keep my nails, you know, not gross for the videos, but you get the idea. It's like I work, right? <laughs> so I work. But my hands are so dry that like if you, if you, you know, you pull off one of those things to put some apples in it, I can't open it like this. I can't open it at all. It's like sl slick. So uh, for picks, I need something like this, the cat tongue thing where it sticks out. That's exactly what it feels like if you had a cat lick you. If you haven't, just think of sandpaper. It's going to feel like sandpaper. Uh, so if you like that, great. The other one I use is a Dava pick. This is the other pick I use. And again, because it's rubber coated, same thing. It's going to, it's, and it's got lines in it and I hold it. Larry Mitchell played these. He gave me one one day. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> and then I've been using them ever since. That's it. And then I use the pick uh, that Black Mountain makes. That's the three picks in one. And same thing. It's got these rivets in it. I can hold on to them. And I like it because I like thin picks for the acoustic. And I like this um, black pick. I'm not a real big fan of the red pick. I don't use it, but I use these two. And so I use these. And I use this one specifically because there's something I like about these two picks. And there's two of the three on this kind of remind me of these. But this is the pick, um, I, I, I'm just telling you, I don't use this at home ever. This is what I use, like, if I leave the house, this goes in my pocket. Like, anywhere I go, this is the pick. So I, I just have a pick on me. And I like it because um, it's so obnoxious, like, the way it looks. And it's it it's just large. <laughs> it's a larger pick. I mean, it's not too large. Um, oh, I don't know why I can't line that up. Um, one of the things I like about this pick is um, I don't lose them. <laughs> it, 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 you know, you set it on top of an amp somewhere. If you're at a friend's house or at a music store, it's sticking out, right? It's glowing at you in your pocket. You're not, you know, I don't fiddle around looking for a pick. I mean, as soon as you feel this thing, it's, it's got some substance. Um, and like I said, I have different styles of picks to use and it's really cool. And so I, those are the three picks. I have tons of other picks, but I, I only use these three. So here's what's funny about this. Um, well, this is Eddie Van Halen's pick. So putting my name on this would be dumb because... He's Eddie Van Halen. That's enough reason to want it. Here go pick, Eddie Van Halen. Uh, this pick is, this. there's no way to put this name on this. Uh, Larry Mitchell, so you know, has his Dava picks are brown. So you know, it's a color you can't get unless, you, unless Larry gives you one, I think. Um, so maybe Dava could make my own color, and then that would be a signature kind of pick. But again, um, there's no way to put my name on that or signature, so there's no way to sell this to you as a signature product. And the same thing right here. So again, this is what I, I, I understand. Trust me, your 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 advice is well well taken um, because of the fact that you're right. If I had more KYG type products, I mean, we even talked about KYG tools. Trust me, I've had. Uh, so you know, uh, and I this is towards the end of the show, so I I'll, I'll, I'm okay with sharing this. I have in the shop dozens, dozens, and dozens of tools that are prototypes for Know Your Gear tools. Absolutely. I hate all of them. <laughs> um, we we give away, when a patron becomes a the top tier patron, you pay, you know, for the entire year, $25 a month, it's huge, you know, tier, and you pay for the year, you get a care package that's curated by my wife of all the things I love. My DiMarzio straps, these picks, um, the uh, Music Nomad, uh, string action guy, uh, gay, uh, ruler, um, which is expensive, right? Because we buy this stuff to give away. I mean, I understand you're you're paying me for Patreon, but you know, every dollar I don't spend that's my that, that goes to me in this channel. But the uh, string action gauge, although I get about 10, 15, I think fifteen percent off buying them in bulk. You know, buying fifty at a time from uh, from Sweetwater. Um, we had them made. 
we had a version made. To give you a reference, I'd have to ask my wife to be sure, but it didn't cost a dollar, I know that. Maybe a dollar thirty a piece. So literally going from like $12 down to a dollar to have the same thing made. It's exactly the same uh, looking as Music Nomad, but the quality wasn't there. I have a stack of them. <laughs> I won't give them to anybody because I don't like them. So, uh, so same thing. So same thing. As your question is, uh, it's uh, I can't, I can't sell you guys anything that I absolutely don't love, and I can't spend the time and energy it takes to make sure it's right. So I try to align myself with companies that I totally love and like zither stands, like Black Mountain, which is coal. Um, where not only do I like their products, but you understand if anything goes wrong with Zither Stands, anything goes wrong with Black Mountain, I have, I'm have i texting Cole right now. I'm texting Tony Zither. I'm texting these guys. I'm calling them. They're answering me on the first call. And I'm like, hey, man, I have a problem. This can't, you know, these guys, I don't work with companies that were like, I can't, if I can't get to the head of the company and get a problem solved for somebody, that's how, and so like I said so that's why I do it the way I do so I try to associate and try to do these co-branded things where I put my branding with them or uh, Stumac deal so like supporting the channel if you buy Stumac tools look man I, I could sell you tools right now I can have them made I have them in the other room put Kate know your gear on them I could sell them to you for half of what Stumac charges half and I would make 10 times what I would make if you buy a Stumac product but I can't give you the warranty with it I can't give you the support you need with it. Stumac will literally exchange out any tool for any reason. And um, and it wouldn't be a cool quality product. And so I can't do it. So to answer your question, that's why I don't do any of that stuff. But I'm looking. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. Every year I try because I think it's a great way to fund the channel and a great way to do this stuff. But I mean, it's got to be right. It can't, it can't be any kind of compromise. It's just, it's not worth it. It's why um, we're trying, like I said, we're really working hard to make nor the Northern Lights production pickup where, you know, I'm not doing it. And same thing, man. It's like I, I can get them made and I can get the price down to where a price you guys would go, wow, that's amazing. And I can put my branding on it. I just can't get behind the, I can't, I don't love the pickup yet. So it's got to get, it's got to be all there. I know. It sounds I don't know. Thank you for asking the question. And thank you for the suggestion. So, you know, because it's a good idea, especially since one of the things, oh, see, same thing. You said straps. Same thing. There are tons of companies that reach out to me all the time, all the time. We can make Know Your Gear straps. I'm like, great. But I only use DiMarzio straps. <laughs> I've been using them since 1992. Uh, it's not that they're not the best straps. They're just the straps I've been using forever. Um, you know, so that's what I use. And DiMargio, who, Larry DiMargio, who's my friend, I, I consider him a dear friend. Same thing. I can call him. If I text him right now, he'd answer. Call him right now. He'd answer on the show. Dear fan, friend. But you got to understand, his artist roster is like Steve I. <laughs> Steve I, right? It's Paul Gilbert. You know, it, it, he's not going to make a New Year's strap. <laughs> So, and I'm not going to ask him. So there you go. So, because uh, I can't do that, uh, the only thing I can do is knock him off and I wouldn't do that to him. That would be horrible to do to a person. And I don't want to put my uh, something on a strap and then just tell you guys I use it. But really, you know, I'm not using that. I'm using the demonstrator strap. So I just keep picking products. Apparently, all the products I love have no way to co-op <laughs> with me in a way that would 
fulfill what you're talking about. And so we'll see. Maybe we'll get lucky one day. All right. Um, Tom says, hey, time to say thanks, Phil and KYG crew. Here is your uh, beer money. Wow, 20 Wow, twenty bucks. That's beer money for sure. Woohoo. Woohoo. Thank you. Now I'm going to definitely have to drink a beer. Okay, let's wrap this show up. What do we got? We have... Um, we have... Let me do... Okay, hold on. Let me do two things. I'm going to grab a couple free forms, right? We got... I'm going to try to button up in the next five to eight minutes. So let's... Uh, Amanda sent a, another question. She sent a bunch. Thank you. Um, hold on. Oh, Killen says, I hope I'm saying your name right. Which cabinet speaker monitor would you recommend for pairing with the Kemper for home use? Um, so I had the Kemper unpowered unit and I've had every FR, FR speaker. I want to say every, that's exaggerating, but I mean, I had line six, I had the Friedman, I had the, uh, I had one from, uh, Mark, Mark, DV Mark. I had one from uh, like a bunch of others. I mean, I didn't have the new Fender one, but I've had tons of them. I was never happy. So what I ended up doing, so again, this is what I ended up doing. I just said, screw it. And I have now the Kemper that's powered and I run it right into a Friedman 112 cabinet with a, uh, a, uh, uh, <laughs> what is the speaker? The blonde one. What is wrong with me? See, you can tell I get towards the end of the two hours because it's like my brain just goes, I fry out. I don't know. The white, the the, the blonde selection speaker that I can't, the cream back. Thank you, cream. Not blonde, cream. The cream back speaker. So that's what I, um, the, um, that's what I use. And I love it. That's how I use it. And I run all my amps to those same cabinets and I run the Kemper through it. That's how I do it. And I've been totally happy. I've never looked back. It's been at least two years or year and a half, long time. Uh, with it, happy. Um, okay, and then you guys are talking about Glenn Fricker. Okay, let's do this. Okay, so Glenn, Glenn Fricker, you guys are bringing up Glenn Fricker, as you know. Um, I know Glenn really well, and 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 I like to always say this, so you know, Glenn's a nice guy. I love doing this. It's like kind of like it's kind of like look, I like him, so I but liking him, I just love to expose this. He's a nice guy. I've met him so many times. He's nice. He's, he, um, he's, he, it's, you know, on his show, he yells and screams stuff. He yells and screams in, in person too, but he's a super kind person. It's kind of like funny, right? Like he's exactly like, like, I think he's actually probably nicer than me. <laughs> like, so, so he's a really nice guy. So, uh, the question or the comment you guys are all referring to is that Glenn always says, uh, the pickups don't matter. Well, first of all, in context, he's always, he's a metal guy. He's a metal guy who's doing metal production and he's in the studio. So let me give you two answers to that. One, why, what he's saying to clarify. So please don't confuse what he's saying in case you might be, which is for metal, what he's doing is analogy, analogy that I've used for many years. He's talking about that analogy that I've used, which is, I always say like, EMG pickups are like A1 steak sauce. Whether on steak or on cardboard, it tastes the same. I love that analogy or that saying. It's a great saying, right? Um, Distortion's the same kind of thing. Distortion is A1 steak sauce or ketchup, if you will, right? You throw enough of it, it's ranch dressing. Actually, you know what? Distortion is ranch dressing. That's what we're going to call it from now on. 
you basically, you know, there's a comedian that I love who says, uh, I love ranch dressing so much they can put it on a dog turd and I'd eat it. I know that's gross, but it's a funny joke. The point is, is that ranch and distortion are the same thing to me in my mind, which is, yeah, you you put ranch on enough ranch on something, it's not going to taste like what it is anymore. It's going to taste like whatever, you know, it's going to taste like ranch. Um, same thing with a pickup, right? So if you sat there and said, Phil, you know, if I run a, a, a high gain Saldano or a 5150 or Engel or whatever, highest gain saturated, and I run the difference between a PAF and a real one from a 59 Les Paul and an EMG and a Fishman and a crappy pickup made in China that is missing three screws. <laughs> you know, which one's going to sound, you know, they're not going to sound that much different. You're right. Because it's, because we're talking about like, you know, where I'm saying the same thing. If I said, oh, if I gave you McDonald's chicken nuggets and I gave you a nice uh, filet of chicken, a nice piece of chicken, and I gave you all these other pieces and I dump ranch over a thing, you're going to go, it doesn't matter because all you're going to taste is ranch. Yes. If you load up enough distortion on the amplifier, it's going to be really hard to detect what the pickup is giving you and not giving you. I still think you could tell, but it's going to be subtle to the point where, again, I told you about that. You know, where do you want to pick your battles and what hill do you want to die on? Right. I don't want to be I don't want to be fighting, you know, the, the tone difference is that extreme. So he is talking in that format. He's also talking in a studio format. And you got to understand studio guys are much different, much different than the average like you and me kind of person. A lot of you guys are not studio people. Otherwise, you'd be watching a studio channel um, <laughs> uh, where. You know, they can fix a lot of stuff in post. They can fix stuff in the mix. They can fix stuff with miking, right? So, I mean, he's going to argue like a studio person. So here's what I would a ask you to, to understand. And this is a great way. It's not a cop-out. It's actually just probably going to give you more insight. Imagine if you asked um, Michael Wagner. If you don't know who Michael Wagner is, he's an amazing producer. He's produced a ton of amazing albums. Everything from King's X, you know, you name it. He's done it, Okay. Imagine asking uh, Bob Rock, another amazing producer, right? Who's done ACDC, he's done Metallica, he's done Motley Crue, uh, uh, Def Leppard, I think, right? Uh, Mutt Lang, Mutt Lang did Def Leppard, I think, Mutt Lang. You take these amazing producers, okay, who, who produce these amazing albums with these bands, and then you talk to a guitar player. So if you ask a guitar player how you create the tone, his tone, He's going to talk in like his pedals, his amp, right? His guitar strings, his pick, his technique. But when you go to that producer and ask him, how is that tone created? They're going to say, well, this is how we mic the room. And this is how we mixed it. And this is how many layers of guitar, right? Neither one of them are going to be wrong. They're just going to see how they get sound. And to be honest with you, right, collectively, you need them both. But... You get the idea. So you, so Glenn Fricker, uh, a lot of times, obviously, like I said, I've had a lot of personal conversation with him about this. We never fight because, he, one, he's a nice guy. And two, we don't need to fight. We don't disagree. We just have two different perspectives of how you're going to get sound because of what we our end goal is. If his end goal is to make an album sound great, he's going to focus everything he says, especially on his channel, to how the uh, what you need to do to pay attention to get the album great. At the end of the argument, if you told me if you're making an album, how much does your pickups matter matches how much versus how much the microphones in the rooms you're in matter? Again, I'm going to go, oh, the pickups are not nearly as important as the microphones in the room in the recording. In the room at home playing guitar through my own personal amp, the room and the mics don't even apply. They don't even matter to me. 
all I care about is my tone. On stage, I'd have a different perspective, right? Um, so again, it's not, there's not one, like I said, two things can be totally wrong and both be right. Two posing things and still, because again, it's what needs the application to be. So it's an application thing. And I think when Glenn goes on, uh, you know, and he explains this, I've heard him say it subtly those ways. He's, he's saying what he's talking about. I've heard him say it. But a lot of times I'm just saying when you guys, I want you to pay attention. It, he's going to give you advice based on his environment and what he's and what he thinks you need to do what he does, right? So for instance, he records albums, I fix guitars. If you give us the same question, we're going to give you two different answers. Neither answer is going to be wrong. They're just they're just focused on a different way of presenting what I care about, right? Or presenting what they, we care about. I hope that makes sense. Um, if not, we'll hit it again. <laughs> so there you go. But like I said, yeah, he does a lot of controversial stuff with speakers and pickups and stuff like that. And and again, I don't think it's, I mean, obviously a little bit of, you know, getting people going. But also, like I said, if you really pay attention to what he's doing, he's really he's really just telling you what, what matters in his environment. And he's not wrong in his environment. Like I said, on stage at a different problem, you know, um, you know, if I told you my favorite amp is this amp and it's great, but if I take it out of my bedroom and on stage, no one can hear it, who cares if it sounds good? No one can hear it. So if somebody said this is the, you know, they'll have a different attitude for stage. So versus in your room. There you go. Don't forget to enter to win the Blackstock Northern Lights pickups. Like I said, you'll get to choose if you just want a standard set like I normally do or the burnt ones where I kind of took a you know, I took a torch to the cover and stuff. Just like, I thought it was cool. I seen uh, Bare Knuckles do a few. I did a bunch of these. I thought it came out great. So like I said, if you want to do something crazy, a little bit like this, you could get these. Either way, you'll you'll pick when I email you when you win. So go ahead and enter that. That's free. And then also, if you're looking for Stumac tools, this is the time to do it in the next two weeks. If it's not in your budget this weekend, don't worry. It's going to go on for a week or so. So there's a couple weeks to apply for it. You get half off their uh, their shipping StuMax promotion, which is a really good deal, and you get ten percent off all those tools, which is expensive tools. So really cool. And uh, there you go. As always, I want to thank you guys so much for your time. Till the next time. Oh, and if I missed any super chats, we'll scoop scoop them next week. But I don't think I did. But just in case. All right. Till the next time. Uh, oh yeah, we don't have to do that anymore. We do this. The Know Your Gear podcast. Ah!